Well, Happy New Year. It is good to be with you. I'm going to scoot this back because I think I might want to stand there in just a few moments. And so, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. Uh, For those of you who do not know, I'm one of the teaching pastors at Wheaton Bible, so it is always a privilege to be here with the Tri-Village Church family. Welcome all of those of you who are tuning in online via Facebook or YouTube. Let's just go ahead and give give a round of applause to those of our family tuning in and guests. Like Eric said, we are starting a new series this morning, The Upper Room, where we're looking at Jesus' sayings, his teachings, uh, moments before he will be betrayed and arrested and eventually crucified. And so we're going to look at these, these words, these teachings, to see what we can even glean uh, from them for this new year and apply them to our lives. Now, when Hannibal said that I would be opening up here talking about Peter's denial, I'm like, man, a New Year's message series on Peter's denial? I'm like, oh, okay, that, well, we'll see. But as I, as I studied and as I sought the, the Spirit's guidance, I'm like, oh my gosh, what an incredible word for his church in 2021. Now, when I think about New Year's, I, I think about a couple of things. One, I think about words. Uh, uh, typically, what I'll do in a, in a kind of a, a New Year's, I'll have a word that I want to dwell on for that new year. Now, because 2020 was so crazy, can I get amen? <laughs> I said, you know what? Instead of picking one word, let me pick three words. And so uh, I picked three words for 2021. Uh, here they are. One is new. I love Limitations 3.23 for God's mercies are new every what? Morning. And so I was thinking, you know, if God's mercies are new every morning, what do you think his mercies are every year? And I mean, so, so the idea that this is a new year. And then I like Isaiah 43, God's getting ready to do a new thing. Now he was pointing towards Jesus in the new covenant, but here's what I think. God wants to do a new thing in us. And so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to new. Uh, second thing, promise. Uh, here's, what, here's one of the things I find funny is that people are saying, man, I can't wait till 2020 passes. I'm like, I don't know if there's a big difference between December 31st and January 1st. Can I get another? Amen. Well, so what, what do we need? We need God's promise. What promise in particularly for me do I need that God will never leave me nor forsake me? Uh, even though I had a tough 2020 and we're probably going to be at least in the part of the toughness of 2020 into 2021, I need God's promise. They will never leave me. And then the third word that I had was anticipation. Really looking forward to what is God going to do? So that's how I kind of, you know, gear up for the new year. I got those three words for 2021. But, but there's another thing that I, I like doing when it comes to new years, and that is new year's resolutions. Now, did you know the top three New Year's resolutions for 2021 is lose weight? They got to they gotta shave the COVID-15, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got it, Bill, yeah. And then some, you know, the, the, the second is uh, they want to get out of debt. 
Uh, and I'm like, well, just use some of that stimulus money. Just joking, just joking. But, but instead of using that to go further into debt, hey, maybe, maybe use it to pay off debt. And then the third thing is they want to travel. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, yeah, after the restrictions you know, release, then yes, they, they want to travel. Now, now, for me, I know you're going to find this odd, but the last couple of years I've had the resolution... Uh, because my wife will attest to this. I usually have a three-page kind of document that gives all of my res- resolutions for the various areas of my life. But one area is to lose weight. Now, you say, why would you want to lose weight? You look good. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Uh, but <laughs> that, that was, yeah, anyways. Uh, but, but yeah, so I, but I have. Uh, because the, the, the more I, I get closer to 40, the more I realize that my metabolism isn't what it was. And so like a, a, couple of, uh, a couple of months ago, I was at the doctor for a well checkup, and she's looking over all of my stats. She did some blood work, and she's looking at all my blood work. She's like, uh, your cholesterol is high, and your sugar levels are mm, a little bit to be concerned about. And I'm like, I work out every day, doc. Like, I, I mean, I, I do triathlon training. I mean, I run long distances. I mean, how many of your patients can run 13 miles in one setting? And she's like, hey, listen, I, you, you, you definitely look healthy. And I'm not saying that you're not healthy, but, but it's your blood work and your weight. I'm a little concerned. You, you could probably lose about 10, 15 pounds. And I'm like, really? Um, and she's like, what does your diet consist of? Well, I said, let's not talk about that. <laughs> so... Because I did tell her, and I'll be honest with anybody, is that my mentality prior to 2021 has been, I work out to eat what I want. Can I get an amen? That's right. I want to eat the cheesecake. I want to eat the Stan's donuts. I want to eat the fried chicken from Popeye's. All right? Like, that's what I, that's what I want to eat. Well, she's like, uh, you probably need to cut out your carbs, and you probably need to cut out sweets. So she's like, I'm not saying that you can't have any but you really need to cut them out. So that's kind of what I've done for 2021. Uh, uh, I'm not going on a diet. This is a journey because I don't like to think of diet language. This is a journey uh, of healthier living. Now, here's what I know. Do you know what I know? I'm going to show you a picture. Let me put a picture. Uh, this, uh, these things are still in my house. Like I love cereal, especially sugar smacks. I just love sugar smacks. Uh, the Hawaiian rolls. Anybody else love Hawaiian rolls? Oh, like I just can't eat one. I got I got to eat three, four, and and then uh, the Swiss rolls and the chocolate and then the Java chunk ice cream. Like so, those are the things that I will eat because I work out. Sure enough, I can eat those. But here's what I do know. That if I'm going to be healthier and I am going to lose the 10 to 15 pounds that the doctor says I really need to lose. I've got to avoid those. But there's so much pressure. Like the, the other day, we're, we're, at the, we're at the mall, and Ellie gets some cinnamon. She gets some cinnamon pretzels. She's like, Dad, you want one? Well, of course, I want one, but I don't need one. You see, when we think about resolutions in our life, and I don't know if you do the New Year's resolutions, but, but here's what I would say, kind of resolutions mean a desire to change. I, I'm sure that there's things in your life that you want to change. 
Maybe you want to stop yelling at your kids. Maybe you do want to get out of debt. Maybe you want to read your Bible. Maybe you want to read a book. Maybe you want to pray more. Maybe you really do want to get involved in a small group. I don't know what your behaviors are, the things that you want to change. But here's what I do know. And as uh, did you know, did you know only 19% of people actually fulfill their resolutions? So what happens? Pressure. Pressure. Maybe it's from obstacles, maybe it's from other people, maybe it's the pressures and demands of life that doesn't give you the time that you want. And so, so what we're going to look at this morning with the, in the life of Peter is something similar to what we would experience with resolutions. But in his case, it's faith. Well, what we'll see is the pressure was put on him to walk away or to deny the faith. And here's the main point. If you're ready for the main point, say, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Here's the main point. When the pressure is on, don't turn your faith off. When the pressure is on, don't turn your faith off. And here's what I know, and you know what I know. You know watching online is that pressure is coming. Why do we know that? Because it's already came. And it continues to come in so many different forms to turn our faith off. Now, here's why this is so important. This message is so important on a couple of different fronts. Number one, maybe you are watching online or maybe you're sitting out here and you're not a believer. You're you're a non-Christian. You're you're a little interested in Jesus, but but you would say, I'm not a believer. And many of you, you are not a believer because at some point a Christian hurt you. At some point a church hurt you. And maybe you see things online and on the media, and you're like, I, I don't want, I don't have any desire to know Jesus because of his people. What we're going to see today, it gives you a little bit of clarity and backdrop as to why that is. Now, the other reason why this is so important is because if you do know Jesus and you are a believer, This will challenge you, challenge me, challenge us to the core of what it means to follow Jesus. So if you have your Bible at Luke 22, will you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? So they're sitting in the upper room. They have already taken part of communion. And here's what Jesus says. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But, but Peter, he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. But Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Jesus, will you speak to us? Spirit, would you move in our hearts and lives, conforming us and shaping us more into the image of Jesus? And Spirit, would you, would you go to work uh, moving and drawing hearts that are far from Jesus closer to him? And we pray this in Jesus' name, our King. Amen. You may be seated. So here's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at three things. Who tries to turn our faith off? Why is our faith pressured to be turned off? And how do we know our faith is truly on to begin with? Number one, 
Who tries to turn our faith off? Well, we see it. Here, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you and all of you talking about the disciples as wheat. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago in December, I preached a message at Wheaton Bible, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to it on love, because there I deal with why is Satan even allowed to roam the earth doing what he's doing as we see here. So I'm not going to spend any time developing that. You can go back and watch that message. But we see that Satan approaches Jesus and asks to sift all of the disciples like wheat. So let me tell you, let me tell everyone that Satan is out to get you to turn your faith off. Now, this idea of sifting, this is a pretty incredible idea because sifting literally means to shake violently. So, he, so when you think of sifting, I want you to think of shaking something violently. And it was used to describe shaking wheat. Now, I brought a picture up here. Here's a picture of wheat. So here's what, here's what they would do. Now, again, I'm not a farmer. I did actually grow up on a farm. My granddad did cattle, but he didn't do wheat. So, uh, so I had a lot of studying to do to kind of look at wheat. So what they would do is they would take the wheat, they would throw it on the floor, and they would begin to beat it to loosen the, 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 ch the, the chaff. And then they, they, here's the next pick that I want to show you. Is, uh, so after they beat it, what they would do is they would take, a, they would take a base, basically a pitchfork, and they would throw it in the air, and the, and the, and the loose chaff... Uh, you, you know, that, that weighed less than the wheat, it would, it would flow away from a gentle wind and then the wheat would fall to the ground. So what Satan is asking Jesus' permission for is to sift the disciples like wheat. Now, what is he specifically sifting? Their faith. And we know that because Jesus is going to pray for Peter's Faith. Now, I, I want to talk to us a second about faith because I think it's so important because we use faith a lot like we use the gospel, and many times we don't define it. And so, what I want to do is I want to spend just a few moments talking about faith. What is faith? Well, here's the definition of faith it's to have confidence in, it's to believe in, it's to trust in. It's to be committed to. That's what faith is. So when it comes to the Christian faith, it's not some you know, magical thing. It's, it's faith. It's faith that you have in something. It's a belief in. It's a trust in. It's a commitment to something. Now, here's the second question. Where is faith directed? Where is faith directed? Now, this is, I'm telling you, this, this is worth the admission here this morning. You're like, I didn't pay anything. I'm, I'm telling you, it's still worth the admission here because there's four elements to faith and you don't want to miss them. So if you're taking notes, you want to write this down because this is so important. So there are four elements to faith. One, it's about a worldview. That's element number one. You have faith in a worldview, which is a grand narrative, a meta-narrative, a larger story in which you make sense of your smaller story. It's how you see the world. Currently, there are five big buckets of worldviews. Let me just give them to you real quick. Naturalism, that's where you'll find atheism and agnosticism. 
pantheism, that's where you'll find Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, spiritism, and polytheism. Spiritism is the communication uh, of live people to dead people. Uh, Polytheism is this understanding that there are many gods out there. And and then postmodernism, here's what that would basically, basically say. It is what I think it is. It is what I say it is. So whatever you think, that is. I mean, that's postmodernism. And then theism. And then that's where you find your big three, right? Uh, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. So those are five big buckets of worldviews that every single person under the face of the sun right now, they're going to fit in one of those buckets. It's their worldview. They have faith in that worldview. But then the second element is there's there's always an object in that worldview in which is the centerpiece of that object. So in every one of those worldviews, there is a centerpiece there is, some, there, is some, so there is some thing or some person in which is the center of that worldview, which is the center of that faith. Now, for Christianity, who's the object of our faith? Jesus. Okay, then the third element. Now, don't miss these, these last two. The third element is the purpose of the worldview. Is the purpose. What is the mission of this worldview? What is this worldview trying to accomplish? And so therefore, that big story, that big worldview actually has a purpose to it. Or for some, like postmodernism, there really is no purpose. And then the last element is pattern. What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad? It's the ethics of that worldview. And see, when Satan comes to Jesus and asks him to sift his disciples' faith, what's going on is he's sifting the totality of their faith. He's sifting the worldview. He's sifting the object. He's, He's sifting the purpose and the pattern of their faith. Now, let me just give you a principle that we learn here. But when it comes to Satan asking Jesus to sift his disciples, that the closer you are to Jesus, the more of a threat you are to Satan. See, he's not asking to sift people who had already abandoned Jesus back in John 6. He's asking to sift the faith of those who are closest to Jesus. Don't forget that. See, Satan isn't sifting what's already been drifting. Hey, you can put it that way. But he's sifting those who are closest to him. You know, when I think about 2020, and when I think about what Pastor Eric was praying even about this week, could it be that in God's sovereignty, he has allowed Satan to sift his church in the midst of what we would deem a crazy year? Would you just think about that just for a second? With all the craziness of 2020 and all the introduction to 2021 and the craziness of this week, could it be that God is allowing Satan to sift his church like wheat? I'll just leave that for you and your small groups to talk about later on this week. So who puts the pressure on to turn our faith off, Satan does. But the second question I want to answer, I'm going to spend the bulk of time on on this question, is why our faith is pressured to be turned off? Why our faith is pressured to be turned off? 
Now, obviously, Jesus allowed Satan to sift the disciples. But I want you to let this sink in. Jesus said yes. He could have said no. So why? Well, on one hand, Satan wants to sift the faith out of you. On the other hand, Jesus wants to sanctify the faith in you. See, it's two different purposes, but Jesus is like, yes, I want, I want them to be pressured. Listen, I, 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 I want us to try to wrap our head around this. Jesus wants you to be pressured. Jesus wants you to be pressured. Jesus wants you to be pressured. Jesus wants me to be pressured. He's allowing it to happen. But don't miss this. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not, what? Fail. So even though Jesus wants his disciples to be pressured, he's there saying, I'm praying for you. And we see this on a couple of different occasions, like Romans 8 and Hebrews 7, that Jesus is our high priest making intercession. He is praying for us. I want us to realize that we do not come to the faith having arrived and been fully developed. Like, it is a process, right? And so it's not like we, we, we claim Jesus as Lord and Savior and woohoo, we've arrived. Now, positionally, and this is a whole other sermon for a whole other day, positionally, we have arrived because Jesus looks at us, God the Father looks at us as if we've never sinned. However, we have this process now of being conformed into Jesus and allowing our faith to be developed in those four elements, worldview and object and purpose and pattern. And so it's not like you become a professional overnight. But if you look at, uh, if you look at Peter, he thinks, he, he thinks he's already arrived. Look at verse 33. Here's what Peter says. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Like, I'm ready. I've arrived Jesus. I mean, Peter's pretty confident in his faith. Now, let's go back to those four elements. Let's look at Peter's faith. Peter's worldview. He was a Jew. He believed in the Old Testament scriptures. He had the right worldview. He had the right narrative, the grand narrative. He knew who God was, what God was doing. He knew who human beings were, that they were sinners. Uh, the object of Peter's worldview, Jesus. Jesus was the object of Peter's worldview. He had said on a couple of different occasions this, this confession. Like in, in John 6, he says, You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then he says in Matthew 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, he's got his worldview. He's got the object of his worldview down pat. But what had to be refined in Peter was the purpose and the pattern of his faith. And Jesus knew that. See, Peter thought he was somewhere, but Jesus knew he was not there yet. And so what Jesus is going to do, he's going to use the sifting of Satan to bring about the totality of Peter's faith. Now, let's see how he does that, because here's what Jesus is going to say. So as Peter stands up and says, Lord, I'll, I'll never deny you. I'm ready to go to prison. Go ahead and get the tattoos ready. I'm ready. And he's like, I'll even die for you. And here's what Jesus says. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me how many times? Three. Now, let's look at how this transpires, all right? So, so he says this. He says some other things, which, again, I don't have time to develop, but I really wish I did. 
And then they go out to the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus is going to commune with God. And it's going to be in that time of communion with the Father. He's like, if, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. So Jesus, he's there in the garden talking to, to the Father. He has asked his disciples to, to kind of keep watch and pray. But it's undoubtedly in the wee hours of the morning, which we do know it is. And they're really sleepy. They've had a lot of carbs with the bread. And so their eyes get heavy, you know, because the more carbs, the heavier your eyelids. I mean, and so they're like sleeping. And Jesus comes out. He finds them sleeping. He's like, wake up, watch and pray. And then he goes back. Well, so uh, later on, Judas, who was there at the Passover meal, he's, he's gone to find all of the authorities to bring them to Jesus so that Jesus can be arrested. And so Judas brings the band of authorities with him. And he goes up to Jesus, and it's what I call the kiss of death. And many of us, we probably experienced a kiss of death, a betrayal like no other. And so Judas kisses Jesus. At that moment, the authorities know who to arrest because it's really dark. Well, at that moment, there's, there's some commotion, and uh, some of the disciples says, should we take out our swords? And before you know it, because they only had two swords, and how I know this, you just continue to read the passage, the one right after we, uh, we read this morning. They only had two swords among them. And so when they said, should we take out our swords? Uh, we don't know if that came from Peter. We don't know if it came from another disciple. But by, by the time he ends that, Peter has whipped out his sword. And you know what old Peter does? You know how I know he wasn't a soldier? Because he cut off a man's ear. You're like, I'm like, how do you cut off just a man's ear? Like, undoubtedly, he didn't know what he was doing. He was a better fisherman than he was swordsman. But nevertheless, he cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus yells at Peter, stop this, enough of this, put your sword down. And then Jesus, I could imagine this, this is pretty, this is pretty incredible. You can just read the, read the passage if you want. He takes the ear, puts it right back on a person. See, Peter, now I don't, I don't want you to miss this. He was ready to go to prison and die for the Lord. He, he was. He was, he was waving, wielding his sword. Now, it goes on. After they arrest Jesus, they're taking Jesus away to put him on trial. All the other disciples, they flee. Guess who follows Jesus and the authorities? Peter does. I mean, Come on, let's give him some credit. Everybody else runs. He, 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 I can see the Mission Impossible theme, you know, being played. Don't, 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 don't. I mean, like, I can see that being played as, as Peter's. He's, he, he's in the back. You know, he's kind of incognito. He's trying to see what's going to happen. And there he's in the courtyard. Jesus is in uh, the house. And there they are trying Jesus. And it's at those, it's at that time we start seeing now the series of denials. There's a servant girl that comes up to Peter and says, hey, this man was with Jesus. <laughs> Peter's like, no, it wasn't. Go away. A few minutes later, after they're done you know, roasting marshmallows, I guess, I, who knows what they were doing out there? We have another person that comes out and says, hey, you were one of disciples. Uh, you were one of Jesus' disciples, weren't you? No, I don't even know the man. Nah, wrong guy. Try again. 
And then about an hour later, into the wee hours of the night, someone else says this. Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. We can tell it by your accent. I mean, (laughs) Peter's response, man, I don't know what you're talking about. In the other gospel accounts, they say Peter begins to invoke a curse on himself. In other words, he swears by someone higher than himself that if what he is saying is not true, may he be accursed. And at that moment, at that moment, Jesus inside the house looks out the window into the courtyard and Peter and Jesus' eyes, they collide. And then the rooster crows. So here's my question, right? What happened? What changed? Uh, What what happened in Peter, the sword-wielding, I'll die for you, Peter, to now this coward who will not even say that he knows Jesus? Well, you've got to go back to the totality of his faith. Let's look at the purpose. You see, the Jews in that day believed that a Messiah would come but would overthrow the Roman Empire, would purge Israel of all of their sins. That's why you have the disciples still in Acts 1 saying, is it at this time, Jesus, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, in Peter's mind and in all of the Jews' mind in that day, they thought, hey, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to ignite his rule. And he's going to overthrow all the other powers and the corrupt powers that be. And so what Peter's thinking in his mind is that, hey, when, the, when Judas brings the band of authorities, Jesus, he's going, to go, he's going to go all Chuck Norris on them. And I'm going to be there right with him wielding my sword. So when, when Jesus willingly gives himself up, he's a little blown away. Like, what, what's happening? Who's this Jesus? And then the purpose, the, the purpose to, to his pattern of worldview, I mean, what he saw, the authorities as was enemy combatants, that they're the enemy, I've got to fight them. I've got to destroy them. And see, Jesus is completely throwing Peter's faith for a loop because Jesus isn't fighting them. He's going to die for them. You see, Jesus had taught over and over, but it really never registered with the disciples that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, that the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. He taught them many times that his kingdom is not of this world. And now Peter is getting a glimpse of Jesus' kingdom and the kind of king he is, the purpose of his kingdom, the pattern of his kingdom. And that night, Peter had a crisis of faith. And see, what I think is happening today in 2020, specifically in the only context that I know is the church in North America, the church in the West, we are at a crisis of faith. Sure, we have our worldview right. Sure, we have the object of our worldview right. But the purpose and the pattern of our faith are being shooken to the core. Maybe shaken would be the right word. Shooken, that's a a Tennessee word there. (laughs) 
See, when we face a crisis of faith, there are four options that we have. And don't miss these options either. Number one, the first option we have is destroy. See, that's, that's Peter's option. Destroy the enemy. Go all jihad on the opponents of your faith. Those who don't hold your faith, they are threats to your faith. See, we see that in the postmodern view too. It's because they're threatened by anybody else who doesn't believe like they do. So let's censor them. Let's destroy them. This reminds me of sects of Christianity like the Westboro Baptist Group. If you don't know who they are, Google them. They're fanatic. They're crazy. See, Peter, he fits this mode early on when he's ready to wield the sword to bring about Jesus' kingdom. Now, the second option that you have is desert. Just run away. And see, all the other disciples, they kind of fit that mode. They run away. When, thing, when the pressure's on, they just run away. And this mode is characterized by panic and fear and adverse to conflict. See, we see this today when people fall away from their faith. People like Joshua Harris. See, not only did he kiss dating goodbye, he kissed Jesus goodbye. And if you don't know the kissing dating uh, goodbye, you, you know, <laughs> you can just look that up. He wrote a book called Kissing Dating Goodbye years ago in the 90s. When the pressure's on, it's just too much drama, and you run away. The other option you have is deny. This mode is characterized by shame and shutdown, disassociation, feelings of being trapped. See, it's not that people deny in this mode. It's just that their faith is frozen. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to respond and so the result is they just begin to blend in with their surroundings. See, Peter, this hits him in the courtyard. He feels ashamed of his faith, possibly embarrassed of his faith. That this is who Jesus is now? I don't know if I want to follow this Jesus. He's inwardly struggling. This is characterized today by people who just want to make their faith private. It's just a private matter. No, it's not. Your faith is your worldview. It's how you see the world. It's not a private matter. It is a very, very, very public matter. B, in some cases, the deny mode, they might deny the teachings of the Bible in order to be seen as more relevant and progressive. You know what? I just I can't defend this anymore in this kind of context, so I'll just kind of blend in. won't talk about it a lot, or if I do talk about it, I'll make some changes. I'll make some edits and tweaks to what Jesus actually says. This reminds me of the prayer that the congressman, Emmanuel Cleaver, prayed earlier this week when he says, We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. Let me just say, he's not talking about Jesus, but he is talking about Jesus. You cannot lump Jesus in with all other gods. Yet he is a Methodist preacher. What is he trying to do? He is trying to blend and syncretize the Christian faith with all other faiths. No, you can't. Now, before I move to the fourth option that we have, which is really the only option that Christians do have. You remember how I said this message was really important for those of you who are non-Christians, have been hurt by the church, hurt by believers. This gives you clarity as to why you've been hurt. Because at some point, they have either fell in their faith, they've struggled with their faith to the point where they want to destroy other people who don't believe what they believe. 
They've either walked away, and as walking away, they denied Christ. Maybe they did some things that were not befitting of a Christ follower, but you, you equate what they did with Jesus. Listen, that is not who Jesus is. The fourth option that we have, believers, is the die option. See, this mode is characterized by humility and love and submission and surrender and sacrifice. And we see this embodied by Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our, of this faith. And this is the faith that he calls his disciples to, which is why he said, if anyone is willing to come after me, he must deny himself, which means he must die to himself. And see, Jesus embodies the purpose to which he came to give his life for sinners, to love his enemies, to bridge the gap between sinners, to reconcile those far from God, to redeem a people for himself, to inaugurate God's kingdom. And in embodying that purpose and pattern, in order to win, Jesus lost. In order to reach, Jesus loved. In order to witness, Jesus held up the truth of God and his kingdom, living those out. This purpose and pattern cannot be, it cannot be embodied and exercised when we fight the enemy. It cannot be embodied and exercised when we run away when it gets tough. And it cannot be embodied and exercised when we are afraid of potential consequences. Obviously, it snows here. And me growing up in the South, it didn't snow a lot. And so uh, I have had to shovel snow uh, in the last two winters that we have lived here. And I'm sure like you, now before the snowblower, right, if you're out there and you are shoveling the snow, right, and it takes you about 45, 50 minutes to shovel your entire driveway, the next day, a 24-hour, 48-hour period after you shovel your driveway, guess what you are? Sore. Now, why are you sore? Why am I sore? I'm like, I work out. I don't work those muscles. You see, faith is not just a muscle, it is a muscular structure. It's not just one muscle. As we've seen, it's, it's at least four different muscles. And see, what Jesus is doing with Peter right now is he is exercising the totality of his faith. Let me go back to 2020 and 2021, right? Could it be that the pandemic and the deaths and the restrictions and the hardships and the inconvenience, the political tensions, the, the racial tensions, the progressive agenda of a secular culture, the pain and suffering, could it be that Jesus is allowing all of these things to happen in the world to exercise the muscular structure of the faith community who thinks and believes that they know Jesus? I believe that Jesus is using all of the above to teach us what it truly means for our faith to be on. Which leads me to number three. How do we know that our faith is truly on? So glad that you asked that question because I think it's an important question. How do I know? How do I know? How do you know that our faith is on? 
Well, let me just say a couple of things early, you know, early on. We see Jesus says this to Peter in verse 32b. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, even before that, we know that Jesus prayed for Peter. So, so one, we got Jesus praying for Peter. And here's what I think is, is, is so, so unbelievable into the mind of Jesus is that he knew Peter would fall, but that he wouldn't fail. Now, why? Because Jesus prayed for him. See, he knows that we're going to fall. We fall every day. But Peter didn't fail. Sometimes Jesus has to break you to build you to use you. And that's what he's doing with Peter. Jesus knew he would turn back. But then uh, there's some things that we see in Peter's life that show us that his faith was on. Number one, Peter was deeply grieved and broken by a sin. After Jesus and his eyes lock, says he went outside and wept bitterly. He is a broken man. He's a broken man. Here's a question. Does sin, which by the way is a lack of faith, break your heart? Does it grieve your spirit? Does it break your heart? Regardless of how minute, small, or how big it is, does sin break your heart? Number two, Peter reaffirms his faith. You actually find this in the Gospel of John. Peter is asked three times by Jesus, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Peter's like, you know I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Jesus, I've told you once, I love you. And then he says the third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter's, you know, he's a little taken back. He's like, of course, I love you, Jesus. But what Jesus is doing with Peter, don't miss this, is that Peter had denied Jesus three times. Now he's just given Peter an opportunity to affirm him three times. And he does. He affirms his faith. Let me ask you this. If you and Jesus sat down for lunch today and, and he asked you, do you love me? What would you answer him? What would you answer him? And then if he asked you a second and third time, how would you answer him? Number three, Peter serves and strengthens the church. You see, again, it goes back to what Jesus says is after you've returned, strengthen your brothers. But every time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He always followed it with an action he wanted Peter to do. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You see, here's what Jesus was doing is that as Peter's faith strengthened, so too did Jesus want Peter to strengthen other people's faith. So here's my question to you is this, are you serving the church and strengthening the faith of others? Because that would tell you if your faith is on. Why? Why? Because as, as our, our, our faith is pressured, as we are sifted and we are strengthened in our faith and we are resolved in who Jesus is, Jesus wants us then to invest in others. And that's what we see with the life of Peter. Four, Peter would eventually give his life for his faith. According to tradition, Peter was crucified upside down because he thought himself unworthy to die the same way that his king had died. 
But my question, are you willing to give your life for Jesus? The entirety of who Jesus is. His purpose, his pattern. Peter was. That's why I end with the words from Peter's letter. Here's what he says to the church. Here's what he says to us, 21st century Christians today, living in the state of Illinois. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. You know who your enemy is? The devil, Satan. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Here it is. Be strong in your, when the pressure is on, don't turn your faith off. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for praying for us that we might be strong. You know, 2020, 2021, it's it's a pressure-packed world that constantly sifts us like wheat trying to either get us to deny, desert, or destroy. But Spirit, will you give us the strength to die? To die. To be like our King. That in order to win the world, we must lose something in us to reach people that are far from you, that are unlovable, we must love. And to live out the patterns of the ethics of the kingdom of Jesus will require us to be countercultural. Will you give us the strength? For it's in your name we pray, O King. Amen.